So we were at our denomination's annual regional meeting. It was in a big hotel banquet room, really big because back then, I'm talking like this was the previous century. Back then, there were a lot of us, more than there are today. And it was dinner time. And if you've ever been to a big conference or corporate-wide meeting, you can picture it. Big screens for presentations, introductory speakers followed by a keynote speaker, all while dinner's being served. A server came to our table with one of those big 20-inch round server trays filled with entrees, you know, balanced with one hand underneath and the other end of the tray on her shoulder. I don't know exactly how it happened, but something caused the server, this tiny Latina woman, to drop the tray. Dishes went flying. The crash was thunderous. Do you remember being in middle school or high school in the cafeteria and someone dropped their lunch tray? What would happen next? There would be loud applause. Not a very kind thing, but hey, you know, we were kids. In this regional church meeting, we weren't kids. We were adults, lay and ordained church leaders, Jesus people. And what do you suppose happened when that server dropped her tray and all those dishes and meals went crashing to the floor? Yup, raucous applause, just like high school. Kids can be mean, adults can be meaner. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. So the tray went crashing down, huge noise, all of us ordained and lay church leaders in this big hotel banquet room erupt into applause just like middle school or high school. And the empath in me cringed at the sound of the clapping. But that's all I did. I cringed. I shrunk into my seat. Not my friend Bob. Bob was dressed in his clergy collar and black shirt and black suit like many in the room were dressed because this was a church meeting. And yet here we all are clapping at this woman's misfortune and deep embarrassment. All except for Bob. One minute he was seated next to me, but within a nanosecond of that tray going down, Bob was down on his hands and knees helping this deeply ashamed, embarrassed server. She protested his help, but he just smiled, kindly reassured her, and stayed down there on his hands and knees helping her gather the mess onto the tray. All these years later, and I've often wondered what that woman and the other servers in that banquet room that night who were all serving the alleged servants of Jesus, I wonder what they thought about this particular group of Jesus people. I can't imagine that it was anything good. I think it's part of the problem. Thoughtful people are looking for hope, and part of the hope they're looking for is in the form of people who, in the words of the Jesuit priest Greg Boyle, people who understand that we're all born with the same last name, which is being, and we were all born wanting the same things, and everyone is unshakably good, and everyone belongs to us, and so our task in pointing the way is to repair severed belonging. And if our first most natural instinct isn't to help, to be kind, to be compassionate when someone drops a tray, How will we do it when the stakes get even bigger? Jesus once said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are not faithful in little things, you won't be faithful with greater responsibilities. And in case you missed the episode a while back on the word faith, our working definition of faith on a bigger story is fidelity. Fidelity 
to the way of Jesus. The world is on the lookout for people whose first instinct is to love and to serve, to love and to serve radically enough that their love and service somehow disrupts the status quo, like my friend Bob did that night. Listen again to the words from Greg Boyle. Our task in pointing the way is to repair severed belonging. The spiritual teacher and Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that religion shares the same root word as ligament. You hear it? Religion, religio, ligament. And so he invites us to imagine the true function of religion as to religament, to reconnect what has been suffered, to repair severed belonging. There are people of faith, a vast variety of faiths, whose life's work and passion is to repair severed belonging, to repair it with love, with servanthood, with understanding and compassion. What I worry about is how the amazing work of those kinds of people gets obscured by those who oppose them. And yes, there are people who oppose them. Or by how that work gets obscured by the systems that those very same loving, compassionate people are working in and the systems that they're forced to operate in so easily take their eyes off the ball. We get a Pope Francis who consistently says things like, and this is a quote from him, love is the greatest power for the transformation of reality because it pulls down the walls of selfishness and fills the ditches that keep us apart. That's beautiful, right? Or the Pope's fellow Jesuit priest, James Martin, an American priest who advocates for full LGBTQ plus inclusion in the Roman Catholic Church, and who, after being rejected for years by so many church leaders, especially in America, has been embraced by Pope Francis. But then, even as his Pope is pointing to him as a model for love and inclusion, Catholic bishops in the U.S. are turning away from their own Pope. And they just elected as their president, the president of their bishop's conference, a man who vilifies same-sex orientation and blames what he calls effeminate gay priests, his words, blames them for clergy sex abuse, despite the fact that there is no correlation between same-sex orientation and child sex abuse. And there is no correlation between same-sex orientation of priests with child sex abuse. The Roman Catholic U.S. Conference of Bishops' own commissioned study 10 years ago concluded, here's the quote, clinical data do not support the hypothesis that priests with a homosexual identity are significantly more likely to sexually abuse minors than priests with a heterosexual orientation or behavior. Why do I even bring this up? Glad you asked. I bring up this example simply to point out that whether it's among Catholics or other expressions of Christianity, we in the Christian world confuse the heck out of people. They look one way and see people saying things like Greg Boyle says, understand that we are all born with the same last name, being. So our first name is human, our last name is being, and we're all born wanting the same things, and everyone is unshakably good, and everyone belongs to us. And so our task in pointing the way is to repair severed belonging. People look one way and they see and hear beautiful things like that, and then they look another way and get the exact opposite message. The Association of Statisticians of American Religious Bodies, 
Does that sound like some exciting work to you? The Association of Statisticians of American Religious Bodies does an annual religious census. And among other things, it shows the continuing decrease. This is the census most recently released. Shows the continuing decrease of people who identify as Christian in the U.S. overall. And it shows that the smallest decline is among conservative evangelical Christians and conservative Catholics. And the biggest decline is among the so-called mainline Protestant denominations, sometimes equated to liberal Protestantism, mainline Protestants, Episcopalians, some Lutherans, some Methodists, some Presbyterians, who are generally more inclusive and more tolerant of a wider range of possible beliefs. But it's those groups, the apparently more expansive, inclusive ones, that are getting smaller. And there are many reasons. One of them, not the only one, but I think a key one, is that these more inclusive, expansive groups can't fully get together. They try. They want to. Uh, They've made significant progress in some ways. In fact, they try so hard to negotiate how to get together, and they appoint committees and theological studies, and so much energy goes into all the committee meeting and the theological study and work, which is important theological work. But what happens is less energy goes into doing the actual on-the-street work of reaching out to everyday people. And if the theological work actually led to theological shifts, changes, their aging members, the people in the pews, resist change. And a cult of harmony takes precedence over the energy for change, change that's radical enough to keep up with our changing social contexts. And it's really just too bad because a lot of that theology is really, really good stuff. Meanwhile, people, everyday people, are you everyday people? Everyday people are carrying a lot on their trays, frequently to the point of being overburdened. And the trays people are carrying are falling down. And people are not getting a lot of help picking up the pieces when that happens, because the ones who might help them are at best distracted and at worst are spending too much time resorting to old habits like we did in that hotel banquet room that day. I think the religamenting to ancient wisdom, ancient wisdom that works for today, the repairing of severed belonging, of severed community, of severed compassion, of severed love, is probably going to have to take place outside of the rigid, ossified structures of that old-time religion, of traditional Christian denominational structures. The religious mystic and teacher Mirabai Starr once said, once you know the God of love, you fire all the other gods. I don't like to see people get fired, let alone deities, but there are an awful lot of gods who need to get fired to make room for the God of love. I think the energy for that is going to have to come from some new movements of people who are ready for a bigger story. Stay in touch, Bruce at brucecole.tv. Remember you are loved.